Hello and welcome to another edition of the Screen Nerds Podcast. My name is Michael Bergen and thanks for joining me for this quick screen episode of Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, uh, the second film in the Harry Potter series. Um, as you may or, uh, know from the previous uh, podcast episode, uh, this is my first time going through the Harry Potter series and so uh, last time I watched... Uh, uh, the first film, and now I am on to the second film here with the Chamber of Secrets, and um, just got done watching it, and uh, took down some notes, have some thoughts and feelings of it, and uh, wanted to share them with you. Um, if you haven't listened to the first episode uh, of this uh, quick screen Harry Potter series, I would uh, highly suggest that you go back and listen to it so you kind of get uh, some of my initial thoughts of that film uh, before jumping into this one. So, like I said, never had seen the Harry Potter series going in. Uh, enjoyed the first film, uh, and as going into the second one, it's kind of interesting to see kind of where uh, they went forward with the story, how uh, some of the characters have matured and grown up, where... Uh, where they've learned, where they've developed, and, and all those different things, and, and the inter- introduction of new characters. So, as we come into this film, it's interesting that they, again, start off with Harry's family, with his cousin, with his aunt and uncle, and, again, the question that keeps coming to my mind <clears throat> with those three is... Why is Harry living with them? Like at this point, you know, we, we've established that they really don't like <laughs> Harry at all. Like they mistreat him. His cousin is still a jerk. He's still the male version of Veruca Salt, even though there's way less time that you spend with them. Uh, but they pretty much still establish that, you know, they don't, they pretty much do not love Harry at all. But but yet they still keep him around and even, you know, trap him at one point to keep him from going back to Hogwarts. Um, that That's something that I just don't understand. And maybe in the books, there's a little more in-depth explanation as to that. But it just, it just going by the films, it really doesn't make any sense why uh, at this point there, there even is that interaction. I, I guess to kind of keep that tenable connection with Harry and his family since you have both of his parents dead so you gotta have some connection of some kind with his family so that's why you have the aunt and uncle and the cousin still around at this point but anyway um, the introduction of Dobby that character um, just from the three-fourths of the film, uh, not getting to the ending, but just three-fourths of the film is probably one of the most annoying characters uh, in in a film that I've seen. Uh, Just his first impressions are just bad. Just everything that he does is just bad. I was just like over and over again, like, is Dobby supposed to be this annoying? Is he supposed to be this unlikable? And, like, through the course of the film, I just keep... That question keep kept running through my head until we got to the end of the film. And then it was like, oh, okay, 
now this makes more sense. But in the beginning, it was really difficult to understand why Dobby was there and, and what his purpose was in the film. But it just really just kind of, it, it was like the aunt and uncle of Harry Potter. It's like, why, why are they around? What is the purpose of this? And, and that Dobby was kind of that same character as well. But once they got away from the aunt and uncle and cousin, which interesting that it didn't take as long with this film, I guess because they were so firmly established in the first film, you really didn't need them around as much this time. So it was just kind of, they're, they're still around. We still deal with them, but, but we quickly push them aside uh, to, to get Harry kind of on his way back to Hogwarts. And one of the other things that I thought was really interesting, uh, and, and I think through the course of all these films is, uh, and, and I mentioned it in the previous episode was, uh, the connections uh, of films that I've seen, uh, previously in other genres and such, uh, that when I see these actors and actresses in Harry Potter, I associate them with more elsewhere than I do here. And uh, there were several characters that was just like that for me. Uh, one, uh, initially, when he popped on, was uh, Ron Weasley's dad, uh, who I've seen in uh, the Father Brown series, the BBC series, uh, who uh, was a... Uh, if you've not seen that series, I would highly recommend it. It's very entertaining. Uh, Father Brown is a character that uh, is set in the... I, I want to say it was the 30s or 40s. Uh, and he is a priest in a parish uh, in the, essentially in the middle of the country in England. And he solves mysteries. Like he's, a, he's kind of an uh, amateur detective. And so it was funny seeing uh, that actor here playing Ron Weasley's dad because it's just uh, just very charming in that aspect. And then another character uh, was Professor Sprout, who I know really well from uh, watching the series Call the Midwife, and and she's Mother Mildred in that series. And and it's funny because Professor Sprout seems very much like a engaging, fun, nice character whereas mother mildred's very stern and very uh gruff and in a lot of the ways opposite of that character so it's funny the actress uh playing different types and, and then the third uh that i ha had to look up on imdb uh was the actress that played uh moaning mildred uh and it's funny that a uh, moaning myrtle excuse me uh and she uh the voice was interesting because I, because it, you know, it's, I know that she's kind of playing it to the character that it sounded familiar. And I went and looked on IMDb and she, uh, is the voice of Baba Frick in, uh, Star Wars, the rise of Skywalker. And also that she was, uh, in the movie Stan and Ollie, uh, which was the, uh, which is, uh, uh, based on the true story of Laurel and Hardy, and she played uh, uh, Hardy's wife, Lucille Hardy. So I thought that was kind of cool to, to to put those together because I always think it's cool to have those connections from one film or film series into another film or film series. So there, there was those kind of things that kind of stood out with me in this film. And that, to me, 
really was what I enjoyed about the film more so than the film itself. Because overall, I I didn't like this film as much as I did the first one. I thought the first film was much more enjoyable, much more entertaining, much more captivating. I thought this one, there was a lot more of just trying to understand the point of the film and trying to understand where they were going with the film. And, um, it, it wasn't a bad film. Like I didn't, I didn't hate, um, chamber of secrets. Uh, I just didn't enjoy it as much as the first film. I thought that this one, they, they tried to throw in, uh, red herrings here and there, uh, like with Hagrid being, uh, the one that supposedly opened the chamber of secrets or, uh, it was, you know, it was Harry Potter that was the bad guy or uh, even introducing that aspect into the film was weird. Cause it's like, this is the second film in the series. It's like you have, uh, essentially, you know, five more films or so. And yet you're introducing already that Harry Potter has, you know, a dark side. Uh, that I, I would understand it if it was like a trilogy or if it was four books, but uh, to have, you know, essentially seven or eight films or books to introduce that into book two or film two, uh, I don't know. It, it just seemed like it was a kind of a rush to get into it. And so I, I, I felt like that that was kind of the thing with this, uh, that this film was very much kind of like rushing into things and trying to introduce things that uh, didn't necessarily have to be thrown in. Um, I, I did find it interesting that uh, it didn't take as long to mention Chamber of Secrets uh, as, you know, as in the first film, it took an hour and a half to actually, you know, mention the Sorcerer's Stone. Uh, here it was 45 minutes into essentially a two hour and 45 minute film uh, to, to say, you know, that this was the film. And interesting enough, they mentioned Azkaban, uh, in this film, which will be the next film that I watch, uh, the title of in that one. So I, it's, it's why it took way long in the first film. Second film didn't take as much, but then they already mentioned essentially the title of the, the next film. So that kind of stood out to me. Um, again, I mentioned in the previous episode, the Quidditch, you know, that one, it, it made sense in the context because they were introducing, uh, the game this time around. It really didn't like the game really didn't make any sense. And it almost was like, why are you even doing it? Uh, aside from just really ramping up the, uh, Malfoy Potter rivalry, which I think is now that I, you know, as I'm kind of talking about it, that makes the sense as to why the, even the Quidditch was in there because they introduce, uh, um, I can't even remember the kid's name. I remember Lucius cause, uh, the father, but the, uh, the, the son Malfoy, uh, he, you know, gets on the Quidditch team as the seeker. And so it's like, they, they pit those two together and it's interesting that they, they didn't necessarily go with that with the first one, but I guess it's, you, you want to ramp up to the, or you want to develop that, uh, with, uh, kind of Lucius buying, 
the spot for uh, Draco. Yeah. Now, now I think about uh, Draco Malfoy. Uh, kind of buy him the spot on the team, get him the the top uh, broom and, and all these different things. But, you know, like I mentioned in the previous episode, the the rules of Quidditch just doesn't make any sense. Like, they were... It doesn't even matter how many points that, like, in Slytherin would score against Gryffindor. All it took was catching the Golden Snitch, and the game's over. So, again, that part doesn't make any sense to me as a sports fan. Why make rules of a game where essentially you do one thing and it really doesn't matter in the end as long as you do this other thing? So, that kind of just... Uh, stood out to me in the sense of you know, why why is this the case um, there were a couple other things like that that just didn't make any sense like the the flying car um, it didn't it didn't make any sense of like here you have this flying car then why in the world do you need the train because at, at some point it's like the um, I mean especially since it has a cloaking device it's like why didn't the older Weasleys just drive the car to Hogwarts. Like, why Why would you need the train? And then once the car, you know, essentially got left at Hogwarts and ran into uh, the Dark Forest, why did it just all of a sudden just show up when uh, Harry and Ron were in trouble with the spiders, and yet, once they got dropped off, goes right back into the forest? That just... That didn't make any sense. Um, there were several, like I said, there were several times where I was just left head scratching. And I think that too was kind of that thing of like kind of taking me out of the the story of just why, why is this going? Uh, the, there wasn't as much logic to this film as it was the previous film. It just as a storytelling narrative. Uh, it just really was just kind of head scratching at times, and I feel like if if you're gonna tell a cohesive story, there needs to be those moments where it's like you're not being taken out of it by why is this happening, why is that happening, and so uh, that kind of was a downer to me. I'll say on the flip side of it, as a positive, the CGI was way better in this film. Like there was very few moments where it was like you didn't realize this was a film made in 2002, which is crazy how there was just in one year span, how the jump went from really, you know, you could tell it was early 2000 CGI to this film where there were very few instances where it was like, it took you out of uh, the film. So that, that was really interesting to me how that kind of stood out as to how much it had advanced the technology from the first film to the second film. Uh, Another thing that I noticed was uh, they always had to write in the story how how Ron and Hermione were separated from Harry. In the first film, it was the the living chess piece. Uh, In this film, it was Hermione getting petrified and then Ron getting uh, caught in the rock slide inside the Chamber of Secrets 
uh, so that essentially Harry has to go off on his own. And so, like, both times there's this thing of, like, we got to get the the trio separated so that it's just Harry having to deal with uh, version, you know, 1.0 of uh, Voldemort in the Sorcerer's Stone and then 2.0 here with Tom Riddle in uh, the Chamber of Secrets. And so... The, I understand it. It makes sense. It makes sense in that aspect. It's like if you want to build up Harry as uh, as the hero, you he has to kind of do things on his own. But it's just I'm wondering through the course of this story and these next couple of films, how many more times are they going to have to figure out? Okay, here's how we separate Hermione and Ron, so that Harry is just by himself, so that he can deal with Voldemort or version. 3.0, 4.0 of Voldemort. Um, also, it was funny that they, it felt like they made Ron regress. So, they was, through the course of the first film, it seemed like he was very timid, and then he, you know, got to the end of that film, and was very uh, more assertive, more mature. Uh, but it feels like with this film, they regressed him, all the way back to being you know, not as assertive, uh, but even more so very awkward. And I guess it's you know, puberty uh, aspect of it, which they really didn't do with Harry. They didn't really deal much with puberty and Harry, but it almost seems like with Ron, that's where they were kind of going with, with the just the awkwardness and messing everything up and just all the different machinations of just kind of, making him kind of, I guess, a step down or two from, from what he was in the first film, which I thought was kind of disappointing because that, that was a character I enjoyed in the first film. And just this time, it just, it, it wasn't as good. I, I thought that Hermione was great, although I I understand why they kind of took her out, uh, essentially, of a third of the film is because she uh, needed to be a way if Harry was going to, like I said, deal with Voldemort 2.0 uh, in the Chamber of Secrets. Uh, but it was just kind of disappointing because I, I really like that character and I feel like that there there's more that you can do with her in, in the course of those uh, the stories there. And it just seemed like there was way too much kind of pulling her out of the story. Uh, and maybe in the subsequent films and, and stories that, that there won't be as much doing that. Uh, and, and the thing was, was in the first film, there really wasn't that separation. It's like they were pretty much all together except for right there at the end. But it seemed like this film, it was more uh, the buddy comedy uh, with Harry and Ron and how they were, you know, breaking all the rules and doing all these, you know, shenanigans that were going on. And so it felt very much like that kind of buddy comedy kind of a film. And Hermione was kind of the the special guest star, almost in a sense. And that was another thing that just kind of made this film kind of less than to me compared to the first film. Again, I liked it. It was okay. And I think the ending of the film kind of helped save the film to me because I think that 
if it wasn't uh, that kind of like raw, raw kind of ending with Hagrid uh, kind of being cleared of all charges, so to speak, and uh, Ron and Hermione and, and Harry kind of having that moment together with him, with Hagrid, uh, and the and, and the Hogwarts school all kind of celebrating at the end. I'll say that ending was much better than the first ending because the first ending uh, I mentioned in the previous episode about just how that kind of didn't make sense to me. This ending totally makes sense given everything that you go through with the film and you get to the end and there's the celebration. And it's like, okay, this makes sense as to how you end the story uh, on a high note. And it's, it's funny how... I'm starting to to sense that pattern of like Voldemort's around, but yet there's always each film has this kind of like celebration of like the, well, we killed Voldemort, but yet Voldemort's still around. Uh, but they don't acknowledge that Voldemort's still around. It's, it's, that's a pattern that I'm starting to sense. And I don't know, maybe that changes as you get, as the story gets further along, maybe there's some kind of thing where they really take the seriousness of Voldemort as kind of he's around. Uh, it almost seems like with this film, it was, uh, Lucius Malfoy is kind of that surrogate villain, almost like, uh, uh, Vader and the emperor in star Wars, uh, that kind of comparison or, uh, Saruman and Sauron in Lord of the Rings. That one might be a better comparison because they're two separate uh, entities and there's not really much redemption, I think, so far with those two. But yet, you know, they're, they're both villains, but they're kind of degrees of villains. And it's like Voldemort is Sauron and Lucius Malfoy is Saruman. And so that, that dynamic will be interesting to, to see for me, uh, as, as things kind of progress and how they're going with that. And, you know, finding out that Dobby is the house elf of the Malfoys, uh, I, I mentioned, and I wrote down in my notes how it totally makes sense that Dobby is annoying because he's their, he's the, he's their house elf. And it's like having to put up with the Malfoys all that time, it's, well, that's going to make Dobby, you know, annoying as all get out. Um, but it was really great how as much annoyance uh, to Harry Potter Dobby made, uh, Dobby was set free by Harry Potter and you know, Harry cared enough about Dobby to, to, to slick, <laughs> in a slick manner, uh, set him free from uh, being under um, the rule of Lucius Malfoy and, and that family. Uh, so I thought that was good. And I guess Dobby will be in the future films and the future books. I don't, but that was a character that was like, I don't know why this character's <laughs> in, in the film or in the story, uh, but maybe it's, you know, it, it, it'll it'll play itself out as time goes on. Like I said, I've never seen uh, the films. I've never read the books. So this is my introduction to, to these stories. And so uh, I'm curious as to see 
will this character mature and learn uh, being alongside Harry Potter? I, I hope so. That's, that's my hope, uh, is that Dobby learns and grows from being under Harry Potter. Um, overall, like I said, this film is kind of a step back to me. I'm not liking it as much as the first film. I think that there were some deficits in this. I think that there was some progression, some things that I enjoyed, um, but there were some things that just kind of took me out of it. And it, it really did feel long. Like the, uh, I mentioned in the first, uh, in the previous episode, how that one just really felt great as far as just being engaged into it and everything. And it feels like with this one, this one did feel a little bit long. Um, I think, I think it, I think it was about 20 minutes longer than the first film. Uh, so and I think it felt it. Um, but, uh, I, I'm interested in continuing on with the series and I'm looking forward to, uh, watching the prisoner of Azkaban next. Uh, so, uh, but let me know what you think. Those of you that Harry Potter fans, um, uh, what did you think of the Chamber of Secrets? Is it, uh, is it one that you enjoy? Is it are you like me and that it feels a little less than uh, the Sorcerer's Stone? Or uh, what are your thoughts? Let me know. Uh, you can email me uh, at screennerdspodcast at gmail dot com. You can tweet uh, the podcast at screennerdspods or screennerdpod on Twitter. Um, and let me know. I, I'd love to hear your feedback, uh, on this Harry Potter series that I'm going through, uh, and kind of let me know what to expect, uh, going forward with these films. Should I, uh, think that they will be more like the Sorcerer's Stone and that they will be more engaging or will it be almost like this film? Uh, and it'll have its good moments and it'll have its moments where I'll be scratching my head, uh, I'd love to know your feedback on it. Um, please uh, make sure you you share uh, the podcast. Uh, let others know what what's going on here with with not only this series but uh, other films that I've uh, watched and reviewed. Uh, and uh, if you have any ideas for other films that you'd love for me to watch and review, uh, contact me and let me know. Uh, be sure to check out the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, Anchor, all, all the places that you can get a podcast. If, if you know of places that uh, I, I'm not on for podcasts, let me know and how to, to, to get the podcast there, and I'll uh, be sure to get it on there as well. Uh, thanks for joining me. I hope that you have a great day, and I will talk to you again on the next episode.